Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Thank you for joining us for yet another interview on the Islamic Studies section of the New Books Network. Today, we will be discussing the work, The Early History of Ismaili Jurisprudence. The author of this work, Agostino Gilardo, is a professor of Islamic Studies at the University of Napoli. Specifically, Professor Gilardo is going to be addressing a text known as the Minhaj al-Fara'id which is a inheritance law tract, which he has edited and then provided an English translation of. The work was produced by Al-Qadi al-Nu'man, the primary architect of Ismaili jurisprudence under the Fatimids. The first half of this work explores critical questions concerning the development of Ismaili jurisprudence, which includes a synopsis of the theories concerning the progression and originality of Ismaili jurisprudence. This is then succeeded by an analysis of the Minhaj alongside four other works penned by al-Nu'man. The study allows Professor Chilardo to draw a number of conclusions about the Minhaj itself, the development of Ismaili jurisprudence, and how the Ismaili law or fixed system compares to other Shia and Sunni legal traditions in terms of legal inheritance. This book is very well written and meticulous in its organizations. Scholars and students of Islam will find this work invaluable and is a great tool for those interested in Ismaili studies or jurisprudence. Hello, Professor. Hello. I am uh, very lucky to have had uh, an approach to Islamic world since a long time. Um, my biography is uh, the following. I began to learn about the Islamic world in the junior high school when I was introduced to the study of the Arabic language. Then I went on to study this language in the high school when I deepened also the knowledge of the Islamic religion, history, and philosophy. Then I enrolled at the University L'Orientale in Naples where I graduated in political sciences for the Near Middle East, specifically concerning the Arab and Islamic world, in 1974. I later also obtained a degree in Islamic studies at the Orientale in Naples in 1981 as a kind of specialization, since at that time there was not yet a PhD in Italy. Finally, I attended a four-year course in theology. Well, I'm now a full professor of history and institutions of the Muslim world at the Orientale. I'm also the editor of the journal Sudi Magribini and also the editor of the service Arabic Islamic Culture in Naples. And I am the head of PhD Asia, Africa and the Mediterranean at the Orientale. Well, as far as my research is concerned, my main interests, but not the only ones, regard the law of inheritance. 
are even number of publications on this issue. In particular, in two of my books, I presented the whole classical inheritance system of Rimani and Ismaili schools in 1993, and the system of the Hanafi, Maliki, Shafi, Hanbali, Rohiri, Zaidi, and Ibadi schools in 1994. But I, also, I have also studied the contemporary legislations of the inheritance. My approach to the historical law is both institutional and historical. Under the last aspect, I recently published a book on the Quranic term Kalala, studies in Arabic language and poetry, hadith, tafsir, and fiqh, notes on the origins of Islamic law in uh, uh, 2005. Kalala, uh, I mean, is a legal term involving some inheritance cases. Through the analysis of this term, I was able to highlight the debate between the different law schools and the formation of their legal system. Moreover, another issue I was interested in is the traditional family law and contemporary, contemporary legislations on personal status law. Above all, the Egyptian laws and the Moroccan courts, the Majalla, the last one is in uh, 2005. Well, this is my main interest and my biography in synthesis, of course. Oh, thank you. That's wonderful. So can you tell us how then you uh, came to write your work, The Early History of Ismaili Jurisprudence? Yeah, sure, of course. Well, uh, one of the most difficult fields of the Islamic law is the inheritance law, as all scholars know. According to some prophetic traditions, learn about the inheritance system means owning half of the science, namely religious science, al-ilm, Arabic. This is theology and, uh, and the law. The manuscript I edited concerns exactly the Ismaili inheritance system. On this basis, the main aim of this work was to highlight the relationship between the Ismaili school, the Imani school, and the remaining law schools. Thus, basic issue concerns the early formation of the Ismaili school with regard to the remaining law schools, either Sunni or Shi or Ibadi or the Rahiri schools. In general, this study has a bearing on the question of the formation of the Islamic law itself. The second goal of this research was to compare the, the legal works of this lady, Al-Qadi Abu Hanifa Nuaman, who died in 363 of Hegira, um, 974 after Christ, generally considered the founder of Ismaili jurisprudence and its greatest exponent, in order to discover why his thought changed during the time. It seems quite strange that a system of law due to a single jurist could be subject to, the, to an, an evolution, but it is undoubtedly due to a new man's need to adapt the system to its contemporary events. Well, uh, 
what was the methodology I used in this research? Since the history of the rise and the nature of the Fadimid dynasty are well known, and the role of Fadimid man as a state jurist has also been widely studied, I instead focused on a doctrinal comparison of Fadimid man's juridical works, which was the methodology I followed. I took as a point of reference in my study an anonymous manuscript attributed to Anuoman, Arkadi Anuoman, that is entitled, entitled Minhaj al-Faraid. A copy of the Minhaj al-Faraid is in the Faisi collection, and it was used as a reference manuscript for its edition. It is composed of 33 folios and contains two tracts. The first one is Minhaj al-Faraid, a short tract, which is divided into Babs and Fossil with a short doxology at the beginning and some corrections in the margin. However, neither the date nor the name of the copies is given in this, uh, in this manuscript. This manuscript from the Faisi collection was collated using the two copies housed at the Ismaili uh, Institute of Ismaili Studies in London. Uh, they helped me very much, really. Um, one of these copies, of the, these two copies, uh, um, is dated um, August 9009. It's very recent. The three manuscripts have basically the same content. However, some text is missing from the most ancient manuscripts in the collection. Uh, but it, uh, my, I found what uh, lacks in the other two manuscripts. Its missing text is found mostly in manuscript uh, B in, uh, in my institute in, in London. Um, studying the three, comparing the three manuscripts, I came to the conclusion that uh, they come from two different chains of transmitters because they have inside some the peculiarity. Well, starting with an analysis of the Minhaj and highlighting the figure and works of Al-Qadir Nuwaman, I trace the development of his male jurisprudence, Al-Fiqh, against the backdrop of the Imami as well as the Sunni elaboration. In so doing, I also compare the doctrines expressed in the Minhaj with those found in the other excellent works of Anuoman. While describing the life and work of Arkadi Anuoman under the Fatimid Caliphs is very important because the evolution of the Ismaili law closely related, is closely related to their persons and to the historical events. Anuoman, we know, entered the service of the first Fatimid Imam Caliph, Al-Mahdi, while he was still a very young man, but it was during the reign of the fourth Fatimid Imam Caliph al-Mu'iz that he composed the main legal works of the Ismaili school. These appear to be the product of an unusual method, that is, a man wrote nothing without first consulting the Imams, and as such, his main work, the Da'im al-Islam, is considered the result of the cooperation 
between him and the, the Caliph al-Muiz. Well, this circumstance gave him great authority, since the Imam was considered both the secular ruler and the real pontiff in one person. In any case, it is to be underlined that Anuomar's major merit was the construction of a juridical and legal system, not just for the Ismaili adherents, but for the use of the Fatimid state. However, the new system of law was only gradually brought into practice under the uh, Ismaili and Fatimid caliphs. Well, one question to be solved preliminarily is, uh, is the definition of the doctrinal orientation of uh, Anuaman. What was the original doctrinal orientation of Anuaman? This question cannot definitively be answered. Well, I suppose that Anuaman studied the Sikh literature deeply for several years when he was charged by the Fatimi Caliphs to write several compendiums of law, he must have considered the various options presented by both, both Sunni and Shi works and chosen from among them the doctrines that were best aligned with his main ideas of the source of the law, the Surah This is why one cannot, in a woman's work, both an evolution in the Ismaili doctrine, as proved by the different doctrinal stages clearly emerging in its legal literature through the years, and at the same time the originality of its elaboration, because the final features are peculiar to the Ismailis at last. That each system of law more closely resembles than of the imamis is a result of the fact that his main references were imami works. Well, another question. Um, I um, answer two questions in my work, namely, the first question is the comparison between Ismaili school and the remaining law schools. Well, to answer to this first question regarding this comparison, I can say that most scholars assert that Ismaili fiqh lacks originality and is closely dependent on other systems of Islamic law. I want to answer to this, to this uh, question. Despite the similarities of the Ismaili law at the times with the Sunni law, at the times with the Imami law, the Ismaili jurisprudence has overall traits of originality under two aspects, at least. First of all, the different rules drawn from Sunni and Imami legal systems have been reworked and adapted by Anwaman in order to elaborate a state code for the use of the Fatimids. Secondly, a fundamental role in the formation of the Ismaili system was played by the Fatimid Imams, especially Al-Muiz, who oversaw the drafting of the legal works by Anuaman to the extent that they are attributed to the Imam sometimes. Ultimately, the Ismaili law is not comparable either to the Sunni system or to the Imami system, but it is one of the three major legal Shi systems besides the Imami and the Zaidi systems. 
Well, this consideration provides um, clues to the method followed by Anurman in the composition of his works. He created no new rules, it is true, but only took into consideration the pre-existing law, both Sunni and Imani, choosing from them whatever he deemed or the Fatimid Caliph considered to be the best solutions to various cases. Both the Isma Ashari Imani and Ismaili schools are the products of the late third and the first half of the fourth centuries. But there is no doubt that Imami and Ismaili schools are independent of each other. A deeper analysis leads to the conclusion that the works of a new man were completely autonomous, and the result of the re-elaboration of the previous Sunni and Imami law literature. Then, the, the originality of this fix resides in this work of discernment, itself subject to change in accordance with the evolving historical situation, which sometimes leads a new man to reject, based on Sunni arguments, certain doctrines specific to the Imanis. Um, as regards the second question, that is, the evolution of the doctrine in a Numan legal literature. Well, first of all, I can say that the Ninhaj, the manuscript, is an Ismaili work. It is an anonymous, an anonymous manuscript. I believe it is an Ismaili work, even if it contains many Sunni influences. And the work can presumably be attributed to a new man. This is an answer to those scholars who doubt about the attribution of the minhaj to a new man. As there are in the manuscript no historical data specifying the exact time of the composition of the minhaj, the period of its, com its composition can be estimated only by comparing its contents with the other works produced by a newer man. Well, I compared with uh, the Minhaj, of course, with other four works of a newer man. Two of them have been published, and two other are still manuscripts. Uh, the first one is the Kitabul Kitisar. Uh, which is the earliest of the four works I consider it. The second one uh, was Kitabul Yambua, which is very important for delineating Anuaman's doctrinal evolution. Uh, this work is, is considered a great authority on legal questions. It is a manuscript. I studied, um, I used this manuscript. Um, the third work is Muhtasar al-Athar, a work which enjoys more or less equal respect with the Haim al-Islam as an authoritative and official code of the Fadimids and the Ismailis, and it is considered by the Ismailis to be the second most valuable work on Ismaili law after the Daim. Lastly, the Haim al-Islam. Well, there is hardly any doubt among scholars 
about the fundamental importance of the Aim, the last work on jurisprudence to be written by a new man. But what is also highly relevant is its genesis, as described in in Oyuna Lachabar, um, ancient work, which sheds light on the dynamics of the creation of its main literature. In short, in order to explain the differences in reported traditions and consequently the erroneous innovating opinions arising from them, Al-Muiz, the Imam Caliph Al-Muiz, spoke to a number of dais about correct opinions and legal propositions and how his community ought necessarily to follow closely the previous generations. Well, for this purpose, he commanded a new man to compose the Daim al-Islam and outlined to him a plan for his work regarding the roots, the usul al-fiqh, and the branch, the al-fiqh, of the law, and the sound sources to be followed. Kadir Nuhamar composed the book, this book, as planned by Imam Muiz, and used to get it revised chapter by chapter, paragraph by paragraph by Al Muiz, who rejected was what was unsound and corrected and retained what was right. This is why the time, unlike any other of Anuamar's works, neither mentions the name of the of the author, Kadenuamar, nor refers to his earlier works on law. This may be the reason why the Daim is ascribed sometimes to Fadimit Imam Al-Muiz. Furthermore, Al-Muiz officially recognized the Daim as a legal code of the state. Well, these are are the mm, works of Anuamar I compared. Um, In formulating a chronology of the Ismaili works, of these Ismaili works, I would say that the Minhaj was composed first, it's the most ancient source of Ismaili law, followed by the Iktisar, then the Yambua, then the Athar, and finally the Daim. Justifications for such a sequence can be drawn from an internal analysis of Ismaili works themselves considered. One such method, but not the strongest, I believe, is to examine the omissions characterizing the Minhaj, which would allow us to imagine a more archaic treatment of the subject. Many other cases are omitted from the Minhaj, but are found in the Afar and the Aim. Um, well, the Aim therefore represents its further and the final point of evolution, Yambuo and Afar, its intermediate position, and the Mihaj, its most archaic face. Nuaman in the Daim was moving towards a moderate and reconciliatory position compared to his earlier views. The Mihaj uh, has a peculiarity that uh, uh, often agrees with the Maliki doctrines, Sunni Maliki doctrines, and this sheds light on the contentious question about Anuamah's formative theological underpinnings, like what before. 
Why not see the message, I believe, as a first attempt by a jurist who was profoundly skilled in Maliki law to codify the very controversial field of inheritance law during the first period of the Fatimid Caliphate. In the Mihaj, we have a text on inheritance law that is antecedent to the manuals of this mighty law. This apparent anomaly can be justified based on the need to regulate an important institution of the Quran, such as inheritance law, which assures correct rules for the transmission of a property, causa mortis. Therefore, the Mihaj is neither completely adherent to the Sunni nor to the Imami doctrine, nor it is completely original. Rather, it represents a rudimentary Ismaili, Ismaili doctrinal position. But another hypothesis uh, are advanced, may be advanced that the Mihaj is a part of one of the lost law works of Anuman, because we know that. Many works of an Oman are lost. We don't know if they are extant or not. Well, wow, thank you. That was uh, very thorough. And, you know, that's one of the interesting aspects of your book is the very meticulous organization of these various questions that you pose and answer throughout the book. Um, so thank you very much for that explanation. Um, what are your plans for your next research project? Are you going to continue to pursue more with Ismaili jurisprudence? Um, yes. Okay. Um, I um, consider that the differences between Ismaili Mani and the Sunni um, doctrinal rules. So, um, the doctrines expressed in the Mihaj sometimes differ from those found in the other four works by Anuaman. I said, Al-Kibisari, Ambu, Afer, A close analysis of each one reveals a chronological development of Ismaili doctrine. Even though Ismaili fiqh became fully matured over quite a short period of time. Such analysis also tell us about other schools of law as well, and brings into focus, for instance, the many divergences that exist among the imams themselves, which are more numerous than those that exist between the imams and the Ismailis. This letter fast substantiates the idea that also imami doctrine was subject to an internal development. Well, um, for instance, the main particularity of the Imani and Ismail schools is their system of dividing heirs into classes. In fact, um, Imamis and Ismaili uh, divide the heirs into three classes. The first class is composed by of the direct ascendants, father and mother, by direct children and, and any other descendant either male or female, of any degree. The second class includes ascendants other than those of the first degree, that is, grandfathers, grandmothers of any degree, and collaterals limited to full, consanguine, and uterine brothers and sisters at their descendants. The last class comprises the remaining collaterals, 
for example, but they have been, but they have uncles and aunts who are four brothers and or sisters or the father or the mother, etc. Well, Hilmi Hajj, a new man, does not explicitly mention that he divides her into classes, as it is for the Imanis. However, following the Sunni system, a new man seems to solve cases according to the rules of total exclusion or partial exclusion, are different rules, of course. A new man's method seems like a mix between the two opposing systems, Sunni and Imani. As a matter of fact, the final doctrine maintained by him does not strictly reflect the system of classes. The form of exposition characterizing the message sometimes recalls a Sunni text. Well, moreover, sometimes the Minhaj adheres to the Sunni principles of agnation by holding doctrines different from those found in the other Ismaili works in the Imami school. Uh, we know that uh, um, Imamis reject the agnation, but Minhaj sometimes uh, um, agree with uh, this principle. A fully defined system of classes was the final result of both Imam and Ismaili doctrinal development, but we have traces of earlier developing opinion in the Imam school itself. The lack of any reference to the classes in the Minhaj, the evident stylistic similarity to Sunni works, and the many exceptions to the principle of proximity allow us to conclude that the Mihaj represents an early elaboration of this Mary doctrine, which was based more on Sunni principles than Imani ones. Agnation, where another peculiar doctrine is the rejection of the agnation. Faced with the complete acceptance of agnation by the Sunnis and its full rejections by the Imani, Imanis, a new man provided an ambivalent, a confused exposition on the subject in the Mihaj. There, agnation is considered to be a basis on which one has a right to claim an inheritance, so he accepts this principle. Uh, however, there is no uncertainty in the Yambu, Asar, the Haim, in the other Ismaili sources. So, for this reason, I believe that Mihachi is prior to the other Ismaili works. Another doctrine, for example, uh, Rad doctrine. Rad means the increasing proportional incre increasing of, a sh of the shades of the uh, of the earth uh, as by quota, if something remains after the allotment to them of their shades. For example, a deceased person leaves. Uh, a daughter, a daughter has a right to one half, and uh, remains one half remains. Well, the general principle of Rad, accepted by Ismailis and Imamis, is that each heir shall be given the share fixed in the book, and the reminder shall return to the heir by kinship according to the its proximity to the deceased. This means that husband and wife are excluded from the doctrine of Rad, of the increasing, contrary to Sunnis. So it is a peculiar doctrine, Ismail and Imamis. 
Uh, another doctrine is the owl doctrine. Uh, means owl doctrine, the decreasing, the opposite, decreasing of the shales of the earth by water, if the estate is not enough, is not sufficient to cover all the shales. Well, contrary to the Sunnis, who maintain that the shades of all the earths are subject to the reduction in all the earths, the Minhaj imperatively states that shades cannot be reduced in accordance to the practices of Shis. In fact, only the earths with the weakest juridical right to claim inheritance that is, children and the full or consanguine brothers and sisters or ancestors shall suffer a reduction of their shade. These same heirs, the same full and consanguine brothers and sisters, who have the privilege of receiving more in certain circumstances when they are residual heirs, are the very ones whose shades will be reduced. Well, we have a clear opposition between Sunnis and uh, Ismaili and Imani doctrine, including Minhaj. Um, we have a, um, an elaboration, very wide elaboration, about the impediments to uh, the inheritance. I don't know if I can speak about it because it is um, quite a long question. Uh, well, in, uh, in some, Minha sometimes agree with Imami doctrine and sometimes with the Sunni doctrine. Uh, so uh, it reveals its uh, uh, to be a very ancient work. Um, other inheritance cases are, for example, uh, the question of the Waladu al-Mulana, Walad al-Mulana, that is a child of a wife repudiated through a sworn allegation of adultery. Well, Imami and Ismaili uh, sources uh, agree, all the sources agree, on the doctrine common to the Sunni law that only the maternal relationship is proven because the children of a Murana have no recognized father. Well, but if we consider the case of the Waduzina, um, it means illegitimate child, well, based on an incoherent form of reasoning, because the analogy is between two non-comparable situations, that is, the child of a Mulan is legitimate, while the other is illegitimate, well, the Ismaili, Ismaili Yambu, Azar, and the Aim, following the Imani scholars, Al-Kulayn, Al-Babawai, etc., etc., and in accordance with the Sunni doctrine, equate the status of the world to Zina with the world to Al-Mulana. This case is not present in Minhaj. We have also some uh, further cases, uh, um, I don't know uh, uh, if one wants to know them, <laughs> Uh, one can read the book, I mean. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, so uh, then in kind of, a, you know, coming to a conclusion, um, is there much more that you plan on exploring uh, based on the Minhaj and his other works? Um, well, I uh, would speak... Uh, 
shortly about the translation I um, I made. Mm-hmm. Oh, because uh, um, you know that um, a translation of uh, Islamic work of law needs the knowledge of a specific vocabulary of technical terms. Well, the, the, the translation of this manuscript presents the usual difficulties of a translation of a legal text of Islam, um, that is to say, Islamic law is a specific vocabulary, so there is a specific terminology also for the law of inheritance. And uh, already in 1979, I published an article on the terms relative to the Islamic law of inheritance. Well, some examples. Uh, for example, the term asr means, in the usual language, root, foundation. But it comes to mean ascendant, or also denominator in the division of the estate. Uh, rad, uh, I used the word, well, rad means restoration, refund. But it means proportional increasing of the shades of the earth. Owl, support, in the usual language. But in the law of inheritance means proportional decrease of the shades. Uh, not to mention uh, a completely new terminology created by Judith, like Aseb, Nasefi, Binasaf, Binafsihi, which means uh, a male related to his relative exclusively through male lineage. But uh, we have two expressions, uh, really um, strange. Asaba bi gairihi and asaba ma gairihi. Well, um, asaba bi gairihi means uh, agnates because of another, because of another. Um, it refers to uh, Quranic rules um, according to which a daughter is considered agnate in the presence of uh, the son. Um, the second case is uh, a full or consanguine daughter, uh, sister, is considered agnate in the presence of a full or consanguine uh, brother. Lastly, Asaba Mahagairihi means agnates together with with another. Are agnates with two fe- are two females. That is a fool of consanguine sister in the presence of a daughter uh, who is considered as agnate. So you you we can see that uh, um, if Aseb or plural Asaba means male exclusively means in these two case, cases, uh, the word asaba is used, including females. So it's a very strange <laughs> situation. So, uh, I, um, two, word, two words about al masail al bulakaba. Well, we have in the Islamic of inheritance uh, some cases with special names with al-Masail al-Mulakaba, in any cases with a special name. Um, sometimes uh, this denomination seem a, a mannerism, but they do not support any particular doctrine. For example, we have the cases named 
Al-Yatimatani. Yatimatani means the two female orphans. Because, simply because the estate is divided halves. We have uh, another mm, name, denomination. Tisainiya Zaidi Mithabit. Tisain means 90. Because the denominator of the fraction is 90. Or two cases are named Omariyatani because they were solved in such a way by the Caliph Omar ibn al-Khattab. Or also uh, another case is named Al-Mimbariya. The name that is derived from the place where the solution was dictated, Al-Mimbar, the pulpit, because Ali gave this solution uh, while sitting on the pulpit, and, and so on. <laughs> So uh, the field of inheritance law is stimulating, very stimulating, but uh, quite quite difficult. <laughs> mm-hmm. Wonderful. Well, you know, Professor, we've taken up quite a bit of your time for today. Um, so I just wanted to take a second to say thank you, grazie, uh, for coming on our interview today. Uh, we really enjoyed it, and, you know, your book is wonderful. So look forward to sharing it with everyone. Well, I thank you very much for the opportunity. I had to make learn about my book to to the audience of the section of Islamic law of the new books network. Goodbye. Thank you very much. Thank you. Grazie. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for joining us as we spoke with Professor Chilardo on his new book, The Early History of Ismaili Jurisprudence, Law Under the Fatimids. Please make sure that you come back in a few weeks to check out the Islamic Studies section of the New Books Network for a new interview. Thank you very much.